Welcome to the Modern Manifestation Podcast. I'm your host, Bree Brown, a business mindset coach, entrepreneur, and a top competitor in a male-dominated industry. I'm a native Texan, the youngest of all brothers, and a lettuce-hating, wine-loving, curses-like-a-sailor recovering perfectionist. I've spent over a decade building my commission-based career, and my life's purpose is helping other women achieve the same multi-six-figure success I achieved before I was 25. I have a passion for helping women with mindset, money, and manifestation skills to help every young woman realize her full potential. If you're looking for vulnerable conversations, professional development, inspiration, or even a kick in the ass to get you motivated, you have come to the right place. Thanks for checking out the Modern Manifestation Podcast. Now let's jump right in to today's topic. Hello, hello, my MoMA fam. I hope you guys are all doing so wonderfully. This is Brie Brown, your host of Modern Manifestation. Today, I have a little bit of a different interview style. This is more of a conversation with a really close friend of mine, Lindsay Leverton. We just finished up our Money Mindset series, and initially I was like, you know what? I'm going to bring on Lindsay, who's this badass woman in the finance world, to talk more about money. And then as she and I got to talking, I was like, you know what? I haven't actually had a conversation on this podcast yet where it's just a go-with-the-flow conversation between friends and allowing you the opportunity to really just kind of see into the conversations and the topics that I love to get into with my friends. So I brought Lindsay on and I really just wanted her to just share her story because her story is so powerful in so, so, so many ways. And I know that each one of you will at least find one thing to resonate with. And she's so authentic and she's so vulnerable with how she just presents herself to the world that I knew that just coming into this conversation a bit more open-ended and just seeing where it went would probably be the best value for you. And we cover so many topics. We jump into manifestation, mindset. We jump into her story. So I invite you just sit back, listen in, and pretend as though you are just sitting at a table chatting with us, joining in on the conversation. Grab some tea, grab some coffee, grab your glass of wine, whatever is your jam. You're going to pick up so much from Lindsay today, and I can't wait for you guys to listen in. Lindsay Leverton is a director of wealth management in Austin, Texas, and a personal friend of mine. She has had such a phenomenal story going from traveling all over the world and being heavily, heavily involved in her church community to dealing with the aftermath of coming out as a lesbian woman to that community and what that meant for her moving forward. Having that completely changed the trajectory of her life and put her on a different path where she was going to have to learn how to do internal work for self-healing and dealing with past traumas. Then going through the cycle of beginning a marriage, starting a family, and then the evolution of everything that led to where she is now with her current wife and all of the things that she's had to work through in order to become the woman that she is today that is now not only a musician, but now also a director of wealth management, a mother, a wife, a soon-to-be author. So many wonderful things are happening for her, and I just can't wait to get into it all. This conversation is nothing if not authentic and vulnerable, and we laugh, we cry, so settle in and get comfortable. So, Lindsay, let's just jump right in. Hello, hello. How are you? 
Hello, all of you three to 4,000 followers, <laughs> listeners, whatever you call them. Yes. And for those of you listening, I just celebrated with Lindsay right before I hit record. And I was telling her that I was so excited to break over 3,000 listeners. And I know that 4,000 is coming my way in less than a month. And so I had a moment with her where I just celebrated and was really excited and just felt so grateful for all of you. I'm so proud of you. I can't even, I can't even express it. Thank you so much. Yeah, it's yeah. kind of funny how you and I, our paths crossed years ago. And it's been this wonderful, I've really enjoyed having our friendship because it's really evolved, I would say. Into, oh my goodness, you yes. know, It was like purely professional at first, like very much like we'd get together and talk about business. And then slowly we kind of both came out of our shells a little bit and we're like, oh, you're into like spiritual woo-woo yes. stuff? Same. Like, Hello, <laughs> I know you're, you know, you were the Austin under 40 chair and we had that very much kind of upfront professional relationship. Mm -hmm. Okay. I was, you know, I'm in wealth management, you're in commercial real estate. And then it just got to where I didn't want to talk about any of that. I wanted to talk yep. about stones and gems. And you sent me that beautiful gift of that gigantic <laughs> geode gem thing. I don't even know what to call it. Power. I think it was amethyst. Amethyst. Yes. And ah, oh, gosh. And the tarot cards. You've just been this. You've almost been like a like a tiny spiritual guide on earth. <laughs> I love that. Call me the high priestess. I'll just yes, I'll add that priestess. to my title. <laughs> I know. Can you put that on your business card? Your you know business what? Card when was a tarot card. I don't have any for MoMA, but I just might get them and put that on there. There you go. <laughs> I priestess of MoMA. I love it. I actually went to, it's funny you say that. I went to a woman's retreat about a year and a half ago. And this was like when I first started getting into like the spiritual and the woo-woo stuff a little bit more intentionally. And I had like three women come up to me during this this women's retreat. And keep in mind, like I was still kind of skeptical about this whole world while I went. And they came up to me and there were just like three independent women who didn't talk to each other that I know of and weren't interconnected in any way that I could find or see. And all three of them at different times of day were just like, I just wanted to let you know, I had this random thought or I had this dream or while we were in there uh, doing yoga, this thing came to me and all three of them were like, you're the high priestess. And I was just like, what? Yeah. <laughs> It was really cool. I was like, I mean, wow. I kind of thought you were kidding, but now that you've gotten that, and, and I think it's really fascinating that it was three people. You know, if you get into numerology and, and all of that, now you have to do that on your business card. <laughs> well, part of me is like, well, that feels a little egocentric to be like, I'm the high priestess, but I've looked a lot into it. And I think it's more so just like speaking to the journey that I'm on and how I am really trying to become enlightened myself and and just yeah. by nature of my excitement around it I am able to meet wonderful people like yourself and there's so many people around the Austin community that I've really gotten closer to that we started off in a professional relationship and now we have a much deeper and closer relationship because we've allowed ourselves to dive into this world and get a little bit more vulnerable with each other and talk about it so I think that that's what the universe was intending with me whenever they yeah. were giving me that sign well and and it really you know, it solidifies those business relationships too. Because if you go beyond, you know, just the business and the surface, like you and I have, it makes it makes those bonds even stronger. So, and I think you know, we all have a little bit of that high priestess in us because we mm -hmm. are all divine. So, I don't think it's egocentric. And if somebody thinks it is, it says more about them than you. Preach, love that. <laughs> Preach it, self stop. I'm like yes. To help people get to know you a little better, I'd 
love to jump in by having you share your personal story that talks a little bit about your journey, especially because I know that you've shared a little bit with me about going from the church to your music career, to a nonprofit industry, to touring, public speaking, later on in finance, and all these other things that are now coming to fruition for you. I know that's a lot to un- to unpack, <laughs> and so it might not be such like a, a quick intro as much as just like, what's your story? But I'd love to have the listeners hear how your life has unfolded to lead you where you are now. Wow, that is that is a daunting question, and I love it, and it's going to be more than probably an intro. So thank you for, for giving me the license. Hopefully, I won't you know drone on and on, but look, if you would have told me Way back when, when I was growing up in Midland, Texas, where I I was born and raised, lived there until I was 17 years old. If you would have told me what my life would look like in my 30s, I would have, I don't know, maybe throat punched you, just (laughs) ran away. I'm not sure. Because the way that my life has unfolded, I could have never in a million years predicted I did not expect any of this, and it ends up being the perfect path for me. Mm-hmm. So grew up in a very conservative Christian home, was in church pretty much every time the doors were open, primarily in the Southern Baptist kind of world, pretty fundamental, very evangelical. And that's just the way that it was. You know, I, I had a loving home. Um, my parents you know, to this day, we're extremely close. I've got an older brother. And it was all about God, Christianity, and sports when I was growing up. And I always knew I was a little different. I couldn't really put my finger on it, but I felt there was this lack of belonging. And it wasn't anything that, you know, my family did or anything that anybody really did. It was more of this subconscious awareness even as a young kid, that I I felt like I was kind of out of place. Mm -hmm. And I think I I made up for that feeling by being a performer and being an overachiever, a perfectionist, a people pleaser, all things that I am recovering from, thankfully, in my adult life, but was just a, you know, kind of goody-goody church girl. And I'd say in the middle of my junior year in high school, that's when really everything changed for me. We moved from Midland to Austin for my dad's job. And, you know, I went from, you know, start being the starting point guard for the 5A public basketball team to going to a tiny little Christian for a private school here in Austin, which I ended up graduating from. But that's when I got into music because the basketball gym was closed. I didn't know anyone. And so over Christmas, I saw my mom's guitar from, you know, the early 1800s. It was just the oldest thing I'd ever (laughs) seen. It maybe had five strings and it all sounded horrible. But I thought, you know what? (laughs) I'm going to teach myself how to play the guitar. And within a few months, it came naturally. I started writing songs and I, I recorded my first album by 18 went off to college. I went to Texas A&M and toured all through college and wrote more and more songs, ended up recording more albums, and really found myself deeply entrenched in the contemporary Christian music industry. That world as a worship leader, uh, you know, I would go speak and teach and lead Bible studies and 
I just loved it. I think back then, you know, I would have called it my calling because that's, that's the only wording I knew for it. But really, it wasn't just this calling to be a worship leader. It was like, I knew I was created to spread love and light and hope through the spoken word, through singing, through writing. And my only grid I had at the time was the the God grid, the evangelical Christianity grid. The problem with that, as you can imagine, Brie, is I knew that I was gay. When I was 17, I, I came out to myself, which is the most important step. I came out to no one, no one knew, but I had this just life-defining moment at 17, and I, I realized, oh my gosh, I remember thinking, oh shit, I think I'm a lesbian. Well, that wasn't an option in my mm-hmm. life. <laughs> you mm-hmm. you couldn't, everybody knew that that was off limits. You know, in evangelical Christianity, there's like this hierarchy of sin. And as totally messed up as it is, that's kind of how I felt about it. Like, oh no, this is the worst thing that could possibly happen. And then looking back, I remember it just all made sense. It was like, oh, because I really knew from a young age, but I didn't have the language to explain it. And so I went on this journey of really self-hatred and trying to find ways that I could be healed from this affliction. You know, in that world, it's called same-sex attraction, which still to this day blows me away as if it's some struggle or some thorn in my side that needs to be removed. And for years, I got into ex-gay therapy or also known as reparative therapy. Girl, I was willing to do anything to pray the gay away. And I wanted to be I, I wanted to like please God. And that's what I thought in my really kind of fucked up brain. I thought that that's what I needed to do. And the the more that my career grew and I went from touring locally to regionally to nationally and then parts of the world, the deeper I had to go into the closet. And that is no way for anyone to live. And so in 2009, I started the process of coming out. By that time, I'd graduated, recorded seven albums, was touring full-time for six years, just touring and singing and speaking. I mean, living the dream, right? Except also miserable and despondent. And I remember being 21 and, and literally praying a prayer that God would kill me in my sleep or wake me up straight. So that just shows the level of homophobia I had internalized. And I had no idea that most of what I'd been taught about this specifically was profoundly wrong. And so I came out, I started to tell some close friends and family. And uh, really the first person that I told ended up reacting in a way I'd not expected and basically started outing me to kind of the the Christian groups I was singing for. Mm. And so, you know, within three weeks, I was unemployed, went from 
touring and singing and averaging 200 dates a year to interviewing for a job at Papado's Seafood Kitchen. You know, I had a, a teaching degree. I graduated from college and the one school that was open that gave me a job, they ended up closing a week after I accepted. Mm. So um, I hope this isn't too detailed, but you know, it really is a part of the way the journey unfolded. So I, I went from singing in front of all these people to cleaning up breadcrumbs off the carpet, you know, for less than minimum wage. And I didn't even get to be the happy birthday singer. You know, Carl, <laughs> Carl was the happy birthday singer. And I'm not going to go up there and be like, hey, guys, I have seven albums. I think I should really <laughs> be doing this gig for the birthdays. And six months after, you know, waiting tables and and just feeling lost, like, what on earth am I going to do? I also realized how free I felt because I had finally, it took years and years, but I had reconciled my faith with my sexuality and went on this journey where I no longer hated myself, but I accepted myself. I dove into like how I was created. I know this isn't a choice and it was a slow process, but my higher power who, whom I call God or love intelligence was so patient and loving. I remember praying a prayer before New Year's day of 2010 and I was waiting tables and I, I just said, I'm ready for the next thing. Nothing against waiting tables, but gosh, I missed just having a, a greater impact. And the very next day, a senior, you know, exec from a large financial institution sat in my section. And within 10 minutes, she was asking me, do you have a degree? What are you doing here? I want you to come work for me. And she started relentlessly recruiting me. And I kept blowing her off because I thought, you know, being in the financial service industry or being in banking is my worst nightmare. I don't even think I had a credit card at the time and I didn't really understand much about anything. Um, but sure enough, I knew that was kind of the next step and I accepted the job. That was 2010. And I went from banking to business banking, started managing some branches and then got recruited to build out the, the private bank and then got all my licenses and ended up in this wealth management world where I am today. And I absolutely love it. I get to help people with something so important and close to them as their their finances. It's linked to their dreams and, and what we all want to do. So I know that that was a really long line, but that's kind of the, the path that I took and how I ended up here. Wow, that is amazing. And I actually got chills as you were talking because one thing I talk about a lot when it comes to manifestation is that sometimes you are not able to manifest the things you want because yeah. you're the universe is busy helping you manifest the things you need. Come on. And so you were in the process of accepting this identity and loving yourself. And the universe wanted you to get to that place before giving you what it is that you ultimately wanted. And so you initially go and apply for that position to be, a, 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 you know, working at a school and then it shuts down. It's yeah. like the universe was like, hey, no, like, I know nope. that's what you want, but we got to you got to go back and, and do that serving job. It's mm -hmm. going to allow you to accept yourself to move forward. And then I'm going to make sure that the right people visit you and stay on top of you to try to get you where you actually need to go. Yes. And I love Bree that, 
you know, I, I didn't know then what I knew now. And I feel like God takes my stupidity into account. I, I was ignorant. I was not <laughs> sitting there manifesting this life I have now. Mm-hmm. I was just trying to survive and put one foot in front of the other. And my prayers became real short. They were a lot of, hi, thank you, help me. Thank you. Help me. Help me. And here I am. And it it just shows the power of kind of this collaboration or this co-creation with the divine where I see this path that was really lined out. But it took a lot of pain to get to where I am. And I would not trade any of it, you know, for anything. Mm, I love that. Well, you did the two most important things you can do, which is showing gratitude and yeah. just showing it to asking for exactly what you need. Just help me get to a better place. Yes. <laughs> That's all it really needed. And sometimes oh. people can make this a much bigger deal than it actually needs to be. Just thank you right. and help me. That's right. You were recently published in Times Magazine, New York Times, People Magazine, so many publications. And it's all about your amazing engagement and wedding story, which I have had the privilege of following for the past few years. And it's so inspirational. Can you talk about going from that finance world and and everything that led up to this point and then going into your past marriage, if you're comfortable with that, the girls, dating, finding Brie, the engagement, all of that, which I know is you know, probably <laughs> the other half of this podcast. I love it. You're like, this is going to be a 15-part series on Lindsay's <laughs> life. And, Get and, ready. We're in yeah. one out of 15. That's right. You'll lose a thousand followers, but that's okay. <laughs> no, we're not going to do that. We're not going to do that to you lovely listeners. No, I love the question. And I, I really kind of struggle with knowing, gosh, how do you even piece it together? But I'm in this new phase of my life where I just don't care. I cannot waste any more energy trying to appear a certain way or say the right things or do the right things based on mm-hmm. what I think somebody is expecting or wanting. I just don't have the energy anymore. So that frees up a lot of energy to just be vulnerable and transparent. You know, I I think kind of what you were saying with, with the wedding, I still cannot believe how viral it went. <laughs> I was thinking, is this a slow news week? I mean, what is, you know, happening that People Magazine and Time Magazine and New York Times and the Today Show mm-hmm, uh, yeah. want to share this story? And, and now looking back, it's because we were all so damn sad. There was this mm-hmm. global shared experience, this trauma, obviously having to do with COVID, that this little sprig of light, it's almost like how I feel when I see a really brave, tenacious plant or flower blooming up through all of this concrete. It was just like that little ray of light and the fact that that brought joy and a smile to so many people makes me so happy. Um, so how did we get to that point? You know, I had in my first marriage, I'd met and essentially fallen in love with my tour manager and my drummer back in the day when I was touring and I did not come out for her. I came out for me, but that was a part of it. 
I didn't want to live anymore in the shadows. I didn't want our relationship to be hidden. And, you know, cause I think things in darkness, things that are hidden, it, it perpetuates the secrecy and it perpetuates the shame. Mm-hmm. And I had nothing to feel shame about, you know? And so we came out and when I think New York legalized gay marriage, we went to New York and got married, even though it wasn't recognized here in Texas. And then really the year that, that the marriage equality ruling came down from the Supreme Court, that was really when, you know, started having quite a bit of struggles in, in my first marriage. And I won't go into too much detail just out of respect for my kids, but, you know, we, we had a wonderful relationship, a beautiful marriage, and we were together for almost a decade. And I'm so grateful for that marriage because, you know, the main reason I think that God brought me and my ex-wife together was, you know, to pursue this adoption journey. And we we got to adopt our twins from birth. We have an open adoption relationship with their birth mother. My kids are eight now. They're my best friends. I freaking love them. <laughs> and I'd rather hang out with them than anybody. They're so fun. Uh, and they're totally different, you know, but they just keep me on my toes. And ultimately, me and my ex-wife, we knew that that we were better off as friends, that the best thing that we could do for our kids was to be our best selves, to be the best kind of people we could individually be. And that was not going to be possible if we stayed married. And it was a grueling decision. It was, this is years of struggle and, and therapy trying to make it work. But ultimately, we realized the best thing we could do for those little girls was to be friends and co-parent, but not ultimately be married. So the divorce, you know, anybody who's listening, who's been through a divorce, it's excruciatingly painful, but there were so many gifts during that. And, you know, there I am divorced with small kids. I mean, I didn't want to meet anybody. I didn't want to get remarried. I didn't want to get into a relationship. I was happy to just be a rock star mom and you know, focus on my career and just kind of do my thing. And then it's my, I guess the night before my birthday a few years ago, and I'd had some wine, which Brie, you know, I love some wine. (laughs) And, uh, and so thank you for having this in the morning. So I knew that I wasn't gonna, you know, crack open some whiskey and (laughs) have a loose tongue. Oh, girl, um, it's, it's five o'clock somewhere. Yeah, you're like, that, that is welcome <laughs> here. We honor you. <laughs> you want some Baileys in your coffee? Girl, get it. Yes, girl. <laughs> yes. So, um, you know, I was, I was, ha- had some wine one night, night before my birthday. And I called my neighbor, who is my dear friend, Christy. And I said, hey, I have this wild idea. I really want to be able to spend some time tomorrow for my birthday, maybe tomorrow night with a pretty girl. You know, I, I met my ex-wife when I was still in the closet. I never dated. I had boyfriends, but just cause I wanted to fake that I was straight. So I never really was single or dated. And, and there I was with my neighbor setting up a dating profile, <laughs> which I'd never done obviously in my life. And I got on a dating app called her, and it's a lesbian dating oh, app. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, 
she helped me build this hilarious profile. To this day, it cracks me up. But I was basically like not looking for anything serious, not looking for a fling, not looking for one night stands. I can't, I don't even know if I could do that. It's so awkward. Mm -hmm. Don't need any more kids, already have kids. Don't want to get married, been there, done that. And the next, uh, the next morning, woke up and was swiping, swiping and just like, oh, this is not where I need to be. And then I found Bree's picture. Mm-hmm. Not you, but my, my <laughs> yeah, for the listeners, yeah. another Brie. Like, spoiler alert. No, um, <laughs> not you, Brie, but a different Brie. Surprised Evan, too. <laughs> yeah. Evan's like, God, are you kidding this whole time? No. Um, so, yeah, it, you know, I could not believe it. It was as cheesy as this sounds, and I hate that I'm even going to utter these words, but it was love at first swipe. Okay. I did it. <laughs> I said it. And I thought she was like a catfish because she just like, you know, seeing that picture, she was wearing this hat. She was sitting in front of a green wall. Everything about her jumped out at me. So I call my neighbor and I go, tell me which one is it right or left when I like somebody because I did not want to screw (laughs) it up. And so we ended up, I guess it's called matching and we started kind of texting back and forth. And I knew this is a woman you got to bring your A game with. You know, I couldn't mm-hmm. be like, Hey, sup, you up. So I tried to, you know, say something witty and we started going back and forth with some really impressive witty banter. And I thought, <laughs> Oh, this, this girl is fascinating. And she said, what are you doing? You know, I said, well, it's my birthday just working. And she said, what are you doing tonight? I said, nothing. I've got my kids. So I'm just going to be hanging out, you know, drinking some wine, watching a movie. She goes, well, can I take you out to blues on the green? And again, called my neighbor said, Hey, you got to come over and babysit these children. (laughs) Things are moving quickly. Things are moving (laughs) fast. Um, And so this is less than 24 hours. Like you set up this profile. Oh, immediately we're connected. Oh yeah. And that's how things sometimes are with me. Because if it's too long, I'll overthink it and screw everything up. Divine timing. There you go. And so, you know, at, I guess, I don't know, in the middle of the day, I get the babysitter lined up and she ends up living like 10 minutes from me, Brie, not the babysitter. (laughs) And uh, I say, well, you're on the way down to Blues on the Green to hear Bob Schneider. You want me to just pick you up? She was like, yeah. Oh, my but- God. I was there that night. Bob Schneider. Oh, my gosh. Yes. <laughs> June 13th. Yes. It all is when it all unfolded. So we uh, we went on a date. I, I cannot explain really what happened still to this day, but it really was that just boom. Love at first sight. Blew me away. We talked for five hours. We had wine. We had such a profound discussion. We had fun. We laughed. I don't think we remember one song that Bob Schneider sang. <laughs> Bob, if you're listening, I'm sorry. We missed the whole show. <laughs> uh, so it, it took, you know, a day to go on our first date. In three days, Breed asked me to be her girlfriend. In five days, she told me that she loved me. And I'm usually the pursuer leading on all of these big, you know, landmarks. Mm-hmm. And then a year to move in and 13 months, you know, to get engaged and then less than two years to get married. 
Wow. Uh, I tell you what, I never would have guessed that I'd get married again, but I, I knew that I just knew. And I know to this day that no matter what happens in your second marriage, there's something different about a second marriage. There's this deep choice to love because you know that it's going to get hard. And is this the person that you can just walk through life with and and hold on and go through all the shit that we go through in life individually and as a couple with our families? You know, now I have a stepson and blending our families was a was a whole nother thing. But gosh, I hope I answered your question. No, that was amazing. And it's it's bringing back some memories for me as well, because I'll never forget you and I went to lunch at the Grove and you were telling me about her and it had only been like maybe a month after you'd met her and you were like, I found the one. Yes. And I was like, wait, I ever talk like that. You know, I don't talk like that. <laughs> I know. That's why it was so shocking to me. I was like, wait, hold on. I saw you like six weeks ago. What do you mean you all of a sudden found the one? Last time I spoke to you, you weren't dating. Last time <laughs> you spoke like, to me, I probably said love is cruel. <laughs> Something along those lines. Yeah. You know, I'm like crying in my mac and cheese listening to Adele's heartbreak album. And then I I just like I dove into the work that I needed to do to heal and love myself. And, you know, this is a couple years after my divorce. So mm-hmm. I really had I I felt whole. I didn't feel like I was a partial person looking for my missing puzzle piece to make me whole. Forget that. Mm-hmm. And then I found Brie and she also had been doing the work and was this whole individual and yeah, I mean, we we both had proposals. That's a whole whole nother story, you know. I, I want to be was also on TV. <laughs> it is. It's all on TV. So I'm, I'm going to find those stories and link them in the show notes. <laughs> Please do. Yeah, it's it's so it's so just a. I'll touch briefly. You know, Bree Bree surprised me and asked me to marry her at Pride. So what a great you know place to to get engaged. And then I had planned my engagement to her about a year in advance. And I surprised her with this trip to Albuquerque. She always wanted to go to the International Balloon Festival. And so I got us a private hot air balloon. And it was the first it was the first time in the history of the balloon fiesta that they grounded all flights due to fog. And so <laughs> we got to stay, we got to be in the hot air balloon for three hours that morning. Uh, on the ground and (laughs) it never took off, but it just was crazy because a a news team from New Mexico ended up coming over to us and I was able to be sneaky and show them a text and say, I'm going to propose in the air, but if this flight gets canceled, I'm going to, I'm going to just do it on the ground. And so you might want to stay around and they got the whole thing on film. It was on the news and it just, it, it cracked us up. It's It's been this constant theme, Brie, of hurdles mm-hmm. and then clearing them and then a brick wall and then going around it and then, you know, a massive trauma and then pivoting. You know, we had to get out of the little basket. And I said, hey, before we go, I have a question that I need to ask you. I got down my on my knee and proposed. Of course, she said yes. It was beautiful. Hundreds of people that were looking at us and cheering. And this woman came up to us after I proposed and Bree said yes. And she said, 
my daughter is here and she's right over there. And she was so moved by what she saw. She wants a hug. Well, <laughs> I'm a hugger. And this is, you know, before COVID when we could all hug. And I said, oh, where's this, where's this girl? I'm not known if she was 10, 15, 25. And she's probably about eight years old. And she's, you know, about 10 yards away from us looking at us. And I open my arms and she comes to me and Bree and we hug her. And she doesn't really say anything, but we just hug her. And the mom's crying. The little girl starts crying. We were crying. And the mom was just like, thank you so much. You know, that really meant a lot to us. I still to this day don't know if that little girl maybe was understanding her identity. Maybe she knew that that she likes you know girls and i would have given anything to have that moment when i was her age to see two women saying yes i want to marry you and so mm-hmm. it, it just goes to show that when our plans are totally foiled the plan a the plan b those are the most overrated plans in my <laughs> opinion you know it's the plans C, D, E, all the way to Z sometimes where that magic happens and the path unfolds that I think is better than the original path that we created in our minds. A hundred percent. I love that. No, that's going there. I love it. Man, that's beautiful. Because I mean, to your point, I mean, you have no idea what the impact that moment was on that little girl's life. And that could have been such a profound moment. You know, maybe 10 years from now, we'll we'll be hearing from her and she'll be like, oh, this one time. And that's what gave me the inspiration to live my true life or, you know, was inspired to do X, Y, and Z. We just have no idea what the ripple effects of something like that could be on a young mind. I know, I know. And, you know, we we planned our dream wedding at Hotel Ella, downtown Austin. Mm-hmm. Everything was planned to a T. You know, again, in, in respect of time, I won't go into all the details, but we started seeing the COVID numbers and started to realize, oh, this is coming. This is coming in hot. This is coming to America. You know, the the 15 people that a former president said would just, it would disappear. We knew that wasn't going to happen. And, and we saw the numbers continuing to go up as the number of people that could gather continued to go down. It became very clear that we were not going to have this dream wedding. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, it got canceled and we thought about postponing it, rescheduling it for a year out. And then the day before our would-be wedding, wedding plan A, which was supposed to be on Good Friday, because, you know, the joke that I like to say is nothing says he is risen or happy Easter like a good old lesbian wedding. (laughs) Um, So the day before our would-be wedding, I get a phone call and it's my dad, who's my best friend in the whole world, who just had recovered from triple emergency bypass surgery. And he Mm -hmm. said, I have COVID. And this was April 9th. So pretty early on in the, in the situation. And I just sunk. I felt the life go out of my body. And that very next day, I I didn't want to wait. No one's promised tomorrow. I'd never forgive myself if I had postponed this wedding. And for some reason, my dad couldn't be there. And so within 17 days, we had planned an entirely new wedding at a drive-in movie theater in Buda, Texas, in the middle of nowhere with cows in the pasture and 90 cars, the most COVID safe 
wedding that we could possibly plan. We got married on a Tuesday. It went off without a hitch. Well, there were a lot of hitches, but it just all, it <laughs> just all dovetail. Exactly. It all worked like it was supposed to. And, and, uh, I would not, again, I would not trade it for the world. And this drive in movie theater, COVID wedding, you know, my parents were on the front row in their car. And mm. no, my dad didn't get to walk me down the aisle because obviously we were all social distancing. And mm-hmm. quarantining, but my daughters got to walk me down the aisle. Mm. And there is so much power in. Sorry, I'm like getting emotional, but there's so much power in that moment getting to walk with my girls down the aisle as I'm committing my life to this woman who has meant so much to me. And I see my parents in their car and not being able to hug them or hold them. It was this beautiful moment where I held sorrow and joy in the same moment. Mm -hmm. And I, it just clicked for me that that is life. That is the balance. That's the yin and yang. That sometimes in our most beautiful, joyous moments, there is an anchor of sorrow and then on the flip side, some of our most sorrowful, painful moments, there is an anchor of hope and joy. Um, and so, yeah, I'm going to collect myself here for a second. <laughs> no, take all the time you need. <sighs> it's, I think, you know, I think people can relate to um, just the, the pain that we've been going through during this time. And look, I know I have it so much better than most people, my my dad thankfully recovered and is healthy. My mom got it too. She's healthy. So like you said, so much to be grateful for. I'm just, uh, I'm still in awe of how everything unfolded. Mm, I love that story. I mean, oh, I'm trying not to get choked up myself. <laughs> I know, I'm like, you didn't know I was going to be, you know, snotting all over my microphone over here. <laughs> To be fair, I never know what these interviews are going to be. And that's what I love about them. Me too. Well, and that says a lot about you as a host. You know, you say you create this space and you cultivate this culture of transparency where we can just talk freely. And hopefully, as you and I are having this conversation, we would be having this conversation over lunch. But the fact that we're doing this on, you know, a podcast, my hope is that people listening, even if it's just one person, that they would find some semblance of healing in what they're hearing. Mm. I've heard this, these components of your story over the years, just knowing Mm. you and and, and within our friendship. And it's just amazing too, just to learn. It's like every time I learn a little bit more about you and and your thoughts in that part of the journey and, and where you were mentally. And I just love having you go through everything in in sequential order because it just you know, I have so much more respect for, not that I have ever not had respect for you, but <laughs> I just like, it's just like this overwhelming feeling of just like, God, you know, she's such a badass. I've always known this, but it's just like, it's just such a pleasure to have a relationship with you, both within a professional sense, but then also in a personal sense as well. Hey, you spot it. You got it. You're the badass. <laughs> I so appreciate that. 
And I know, speaking of badass, you are in the process of writing a book currently. Are you allowed to talk about what that's going to be about and when we can expect to be able to grab our own copies? Yes, I think I'm allowed. I hope so. Um, if not, I guess I'll hear from the publishing company. But uh, yeah, you know, I, I got to this insane point where I've been wanting to write this book for, you know, decades. I mean, literally. And I, I never really knew how. I didn't know how to start. I had analysis paralysis. I made up all the excuses in the world. And then I got to this place through a really a series of things that happened in my life. And I knew it was time. It was like, this book is begging to be written. And I started writing. I submitted my kind of uh, preliminary manuscript idea to a publishing company based on a connection I had made years and years ago. And they accepted, you know, the proposal, uh, which totally surprised me because they said they turned down 99% of submissions. Mm -hmm. And so I've been working with the team, my editor, and I've already written 60,000 words uh, in wow. a few months, which just shows how much I've needed to write this book really to heal myself. As selfish as that may sound, so much of what I'm writing and what I'm writing about is this journey in kind of self-healing. It's what I used to do with music and writing songs. And so it's going to be kind of the central premise of it is these gifts that we can find in the most tumultuous of times that you know, there is light when all we see is dark, but there's also dark if all we're trying to see is light. So this balance of beauty from ashes and that theme, uh, and then telling the story. So not a memoir, because I feel like only famous people should have memoirs. Maybe that's <laughs> limited thinking, but, you know, more of a, in a self-development, you could call it self-help, a little bit of memoir, but I'm telling stories about experiences that I've had, that other people have had, and uh, finding the gift in the pain, which has become my greatest teacher. And it, it started with my chronic pain, you know, journey and battle I've had for 15 years. And it's it's really about how I have come out of that and found tremendous healing, both physically, emotionally, spiritually, psychologically, every of the Elise. And as far as when it comes out, the original scheduled kind of time frame was August. And I don't know, based on just how much I'm writing, it might be before that, it might be after that. So we'll see. I'll keep you posted. But I'm so excited about it. I, I cannot wait for it to come out. I am thrilled for you. And you also mentioned um, a little bit on the the pain. And I know that you and I have talked about this in the past because we were both going through our own nutrition journeys, trying yes. to, to heal inflammation within us. Could you just touch mm. on that for a second? Um, I know you're probably going to talk more about it in the book, so don't want to spoil anything too much. But oh, there's just no going to talk to people about like, you know, what it was that you went through and some of the paths that you took to try to heal yourself. Mm. Wow, this really could be a 15-part series. Um, <laughs> your poor listeners. No, I'm kidding. I think this has been I think this has been a really divine kind of dialogue that you and I are having. You know, my my chronic pain journey as I look back, 
most of it was internalized rage, internalized trauma, and unresolved pain that I had trapped inside my physical body. I did not know how to get it out. I didn't have the tools back then. You know, this really all started when I was touring and my career was getting bigger, but I was having to go deeper into the closet, like I talked about earlier. Mm-hmm. There's something that happens when we deny ourselves of our very true nature, when we don't honor ourselves, when we don't address and acknowledge the emotional pain. Now, I know some people have real, very real physical pain. And I thought, okay, is this an autoimmune disease? I've seen probably 15 doctors in the last 15 years, tried everything from going vegan, which, hey, I'm all for veganism, but I gained weight and my cholesterol went up. So I'm kind of this outlier as it relates to that. Tried, you know, all the different diets or eating plans, um, elimination diet. At one point I was down to like three foods, but nothing was giving me relief. I, I just seemed to get sicker with chronic pain, chronic fatigue, inflammation. And I, I just finally kind of reached the end of my rope and had reached out to a dear friend who is very woo-woo. Because at this point, I'm thinking, I'll try anything. I don't care. You could pour salt in my eyes if you told me that was going <laughs> to make me feel better. Um, I would have done anything. And she told me about this man in Austin named John. And he has this gift for working with professionals like myself, not only as kind of an executive coach, but really as somebody to come alongside me to help me heal myself. So I say he's my healer, my guru, my teacher, but really he told me from the very beginning, Lindsay, I'm not going to heal you. I am going to help you figure out how to heal yourself. And John and I started our work over a year ago and we meet every Monday morning for an hour. And slowly I started to realize how much internalized pain and trauma I had trapped in my physical body. I knew nothing was structurally wrong with me. I'd ruled out pretty much everything on the planet Mm -hmm. and slowly started to work on my, my heart and go back to those moments of pain and trauma from my childhood, from high school, seeing a boy drown in front of me. I didn't jump out because I thought he was kidding. And it was a classic boy cried wolf situation. And he he dies in front of me, that type of trauma. And then years later, witnessing a hit and run fatality, running up to this young man who had been on a motorcycle and was killed by a drunk driver and laying with him in the street, trauma. And the trauma of being in the closet, the trauma of going up on stage to sing a song after an anti-gay sermon, trauma after trauma, coming out, losing everything, divorce, all of that, I thought that I had processed it and put it in a neat little box on a shelf, but I hadn't. And so it's been this journey of figuring out the pain is not going to go away until I learn from it. And none of this is happening to me. This is all happening for me. 
and my mindset slowly started to change. I'm not saying that's going to be the case for everyone. Consult your doctor and all of those things. But for me, I can only speak for me. For me, it was this awareness. Lindsay, there's nothing structurally wrong with you, but you are a trauma survivor. And we've got to do a lot of inner healing work. And the more that I got healthy internally and became aware of my feelings about the trauma and unpacked shame and guilt that was perpetuating these patterns that I so badly wanted to defeat and change in my life, doing that work and committing to that work has brought me so much physical healing. And I want to take care of myself now. It's not every day. You know, I fail miserably flat on my face more times than I can count. But I don't live in excruciating pain all day anymore. And I'm so thankful for that. Wow. And you are doing this while balancing so many other things. I mean, I know you're trying to handle your past trauma and heal yourself internally. And at the same time, you're dealing with all of these, what a lot of people would consider very negative things and these these traumatic experiences. And then you're also, on the other hand, talking about balance. You have all these wonderful things going on for you, like the wedding and the book and your career. And in the past, you've had music, you're a mom, you're a wife, you're writing a book, personal development, all of that. Hmm. How is it that you're able to manage that alongside, I mean, just everything you have going on? Where do you find that balance or how do you keep yourself from 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 going nuts? Oh man, that is such a that is such a hard question and I'm going to answer it as real as I know how. I I learned early on in this pandemic that I cannot manage any of it. Like I cannot manage working from home with three kids under 8 trying to be a homeschool teacher and have back-to-back client meetings on Zoom while trying to figure out, you know, these online platforms that my kids are doing with school. Yeah, with the wedding. I mean, just everything that's happened over the past year, it it honestly culminated into a pretty big emotional breakdown last night hmm. and this morning. So often, if I'm on a podcast or... I'm doing an interview or whatever the case may be, I'm usually in a really good place, a whole, strong, resilient place. And I am on this podcast with you today, Bree, and I spent the majority of my morning in tears, almost to where I was going to call you and say, hey, I am having a really hard day. And you know, if I actually say that, that it is extremely hard because I, my like bullshit meter is very high and I can handle a lot. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if I'm saying, Hey, I'm struggling, that usually means I'm really struggling. And so I don't balance it well. I don't know how, I don't know how to manage it. I've stopped trying to manage it. And I, I really try to live in the present moment as tired as that phrase may be. And, and I can almost feel people rolling their eyes like, oh, here we go again, you know, but I have got to stay in this moment. And earlier, my moments this morning were painful. My moments last night were painful. And instead of just shoving it down, like I've always done to get through the day, to get through the next thing, 
I let myself feel it and I let it come out. And last night, you know, I laid with one of my daughters and I allowed myself to cry in front of her because I think that's important. And um, essentially, I was just really struggling because some days I feel like I'm failing my clients because I'm trying to prioritize my family. Other days, I feel like I'm failing my family because I'm trying to prioritize my clients. There's all these plates that we all have spinning. I know that this is not unique to me. And some days I'm just thinking, which plates can we drop today that it's going to be okay if these plates drop? And I've got to, I've really got to get back into meditation. Like that for me is what keeps me grounded. And for me, it's transcendental meditation it saves my life. And when I veer from, from investing in myself, it all breaks down. And so this podcast, the timing of this podcast is really powerful because it's keeping me accountable. I'm not just going to come on here and say some BS because it sounds good. I don't know any other way to be but to say, I'm really struggling and it's really hard. And some days I do well. Some days, I try my best and my best is okay at best. Other days I feel strong and like, okay, I've got this. And other days I just want to lay in bed and I don't want to go anywhere and I don't want to do anything for anybody. And that is all a part of my journey. And so I'm trying to embrace it. I'm not trying to fix it or overcomplicate it. Well, I really appreciate you for being very vulnerable and authentic with your story today and even just sharing how you're currently feeling. I think that it's important to hear you share this message in complete authenticity because especially operating in the world that we operate in and having the conversations and, you know, trying to be these enlightened beings, <laughs> these positive beings. It's like yes. sometimes you get into that rut of like, I need to be positive all the time. I can't allow any negativity into my life. And then that creates its own inauthenticities. And then we don't allow ourselves to feel grief, to feel anger, to feel anything negative because we think it's going to detract from our trying to have this more positive light. When in reality, I think we need to embrace those things yes. because it allows the positives to be so much more higher and not diluted yeah. by the repressed feelings that we're holding. So Ooh. thank you. Thank you for sharing that with us. You you are spot on. And I, I spent a lot of my life doing that. Like, oh, just positive thoughts and, and light and love and joy. And I'm not saying anything against that. I'm just saying for me... I had to find a way to to balance the opposing energies within me first. You know, that that darkness and and sadness and pain is not bad. I don't have to fix it. I need to feel it. I need to be aware, increase my, you know, consciousness of what is going on and it really is all about how I think about certain things that are happening. And now I know that things are happening for me. I I have way less pity parties than I used to have. That that victim mindset, you know, is slowly going away, thank God, but it takes work and it takes acceptance of where I am. And sometimes I am crying and wanting to just eat a chicken breast alone in the bathtub. <laughs> 
and that's okay too. You know, it's all, it's all there for a purpose. I'm not saying everything happens for a reason, but I am saying that the more that I understand everything can be redeemed, even the hardest, most terrible a trauma and abuse that that your listeners may be feeling or have experienced in the past, that can be redeemed. And I I just have to believe this. What you said just brought something to my mind. Glenn and Doyle, I, I don't read a lot of books right now and listen to podcasts, but she teaches on this really, really well. And it's almost like you know, we're just getting pounded by these different stressors and grief and pain, almost like a tennis. Have you seen those those machines where they just shoot the tennis balls? Yes. Kind of over and over again. So this year has felt a little bit like I don't have a racket and the tennis ball shooting machine is on full blast and it just keeps pelting me. Okay. And we're taught, okay, we're taught that you, you, you can't, you can't just stay there, run away, go away. And that may be a bad illustration, but I've realized that there's no space to grieve, especially if you're, you know, full-time working mom, it's very hard to create space where you can feel things when they come up because you've got to get dinner on the table. You've got to get the kids ready for school. You have to remember that today is the boxcar race. So you have to build a freaking boxcar, you know, at midnight in your PJs out in the garage. And we don't really have the freedom to, to work through all of those balls that are pelting us, you know? And so that's really a recipe for disaster. And I'm realizing I've, I've got to be more intentional about creating that space for myself. Otherwise, you know, I'm going to be, uh, I'm not going to be operating at the level that I want to operate at which is just falling back into the flow of my true nature. And it's funny you say that. I mean, we've talked a lot in the past about synchronicities and you just mentioned Glennon Doyle and I just finished her book Untamed not too long ago. (gasps) And I also am a huge fan of uh, Elizabeth Gilbert who had that book I was telling you about Big Magic. And those two are really the most profound influencers for me in terms Mm -hmm. of actually getting me to meditate and Mm -hmm. changing my language from what I should do to what I was going to do and now actively do and make a part of my routine. And it's just funny that you've mentioned her, you mentioned the need to meditate. And then before this call, I always pull that tarot card or tarot cards. And it was a message to, to remind you to meditate. And I just think it's, it's funny how sometimes these messages are all just intercorrelated. And it's just like this, hey, maybe we all just need to slow down, take a deep breath, meditate, whatever way that is for you. It doesn't have to be sitting on a mat in utter silence if that's not your thing. You know, right. meditation could be drawing. It could be coloring. I have a coloring book that I use that is part of my meditation. Yes, I love it. And so I just think it was is beautiful that you brought that up. And, and I think that is great advice for people listening in that are going through some of those traumatic experiences. It's just like allow yourself the time to process it. And yeah. I think it's so important that you, you, you stated that reminder because I think we can always forget sometimes that it's not shameful and we shouldn't have to feel any guilt about needing to process some of these things. Yes. And sometimes we can't do it on our own. I could not do this on my own. I, I mean, 
if if you're listening to this and you can, more power to you. But I would be screwed without <laughs> my tribe of, you know, I have a very small tribe, you know, of friends. And I consider you one of my dear friends, even though we don't get to see each other much. But my therapist, Brie has her own therapist. I have my own therapist. We have a marriage therapist. Uh, and then I, like I said earlier, I, I meet with John every week. I cannot do this on my own. And and a lot of the times, man, I'm just dropping all the plates. And that's when I go back to the help me, help me prayer. I need a miracle, mm-hmm. you know, kind of in, into your rope type of prayer. And it's powerful that you share that too, because outside looking in, I mean, you have all your shit together. Ha. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I'm like, she's this boss ass bitch. She's great in doing finance. She's on top of the world. She's had CD. She's been touring. She's now writing a book. She just had her fantastic marriage. She's raising a hybrid family. I mean, this is all just like amazing, amazing, amazing accolades, accolades, accolades. You, you know, won Austin under 40 awards. I mean, you just have all these amazing things. And I think it's powerful for you to say like, yes, as someone that, you know, looking at my LinkedIn or my Facebook or whatever appears to have it all. It's like, there's still some things going on that that it's important to share because I think so many people get tricked by social media into yeah. thinking that not everyone shares my struggles or I'm alone in this. Mm. Oh my goodness. I mean, you, you so hit the nail on the head. What's interesting, as you said this, I've never had this thought before, so I'm going to share it, but you said, you know, that it, it seems like you have it all together. You have it all. What just hit me like a two by four between the eyes is that I do have it all, but by all, I have both light and dark inside me. I have joys and sorrow. I have successes that I still can't believe and exciting things that are happening even as you and I are talking, but I also have the pain and the stress and I think that is the human condition. I think that's this Mm -hmm. whole journey called life because I guarantee you, I do not, quote, have it all together. This morning was barely hanging on and that's okay. Like today, that's okay Mm -hmm. because it'll pass. You know, my, my granny would always say, this too shall pass and I'm so thankful she did. Because I think if I'd heard it anywhere else, I would just roll my eyes and, (laughs) you know, oh, stop speaking Christianese. You know, now I have all this religious baggage, right, that I'm working through. But my granny always said it in such a way that made me believe it. And sometimes it's a moment that will pass. Sometimes it's that debilitating grief that makes you feel like your legs are a thousand pounds and you can't even take the next step. And sometimes it's a whole season that's going to, that's going to pass, but we move through it. You know, it's, I think what I'm learning is that it's about being fully in this moment and moving through this moment to the next moment and to the next moment. And some moments are awesome and other moments are, you know, you just feel like you got smacked in the face. (laughs) <laughs> oh man, but seriously, Brie, I you know, I know you can relate to this, but like surrender, that's that's the mm-hmm. magic for me, the surrendering, but that doesn't come until I've had awareness. So mm-hmm. for for me what I've come to realize is that 
the basis of everything of my foundation is awareness. What is going on? What am I feeling about what's going on? What did I want to happen? What did I think was going to happen? What's the gap between what's happening and what I wanted to happen? And realizing that expectations are future resentments. Mm-hmm. So, you know, having this manifestation mindset that the best can happen while also having that reality check of, I also need to be aware of what I'm feeling in this moment, no matter what that feeling may be. Mm. And we're talking about balance and, you know, just being aware and hoping for the best. Obviously, you stumbling into the finance world was completely just happenstance. It was where the universe was guiding you and you've really navigated the your role as a wealth advisor and, and become, you know, in, in an entirely different place now than you were when I first met you. When it comes to your being a wealth advisor, how do you what is the the energy associated with what you do? Is it more feminine? Is it more masculine? How does that mm. play in with your balance? And does this play a part at all in your healing journey? Yes. Oh my goodness. That's why my work with John has been so powerful because so much of what he and I talk about has to do with work, but it's all spiritual. You know, Mm -hmm. the, the balance that I find within myself, that, that masculine and feminine energy that plays a part in my career in tremendous ways, you know, because you think about it, it's a masculine driven industry and I love being sometimes the only woman in the boardroom. You know, I got my pearls on, I got my heels on, (laughs) try to have a little power suit and you just pray that no man asked me to go get coffee because they're not going to, they're not going to have a good response from me. You know, I may flip over some tables like Jesus did in that, in that one story in the Bible when he got (laughs) real pissed, which is one of my favorites. I just, I love a good angry Jesus sometimes, you know, (laughs) Uh, so, but talk the, about but, what would Jesus do? Yes, flip over a damn flip table, over some tables, <laughs> um, and so balancing the the masculine energy and the feminine energy within my own self as I heal myself and as I bring these seemingly opposing energies into alignment, I'm having so much more alignment with my clients, and I think it's because mm. we need both clients need that more feminine energy that's been associated with listening and being empathetic, nurturing, and, you know, more of the emotional component. But then there's that masculine energy of, well, it's sometimes associated with being driven or the more logical side and not as emotional. I think that it's all fluid. And you know, the more that I can bring those two seemingly opposing energies into alignment and harmonize those energies, which I have a whole chapter in my book on that, that is a gift. That internal conflict, that internal tension, that is an opportunity to find that gift. And the more that I heal myself, I am able to bring so much more value to the clients that that I help you know, each day with their journeys, whether it's, whether it has to do with finances, money or not, we all have this shared experience of, and we're trying to do the best we can. Mm -hmm. And my job, and it's something you've done so beautifully today, but my job is to cultivate that environment of safety 
where my clients feel welcome. They feel safe to be themselves. They know they're not going to have any shame or guilt. I'm not going to judge them for whatever's going on. But that only happened because I'm not judging myself. I'm accepting myself. So they're feeling that energy coming from me the more I do that internal work. So many good nuggets in what you just said. And I think that it was, I mean, there's so many important messages throughout this entire podcast that we've had, but I absolutely love that you just shared that because there are so many women that wonder, like, I'm hearing about balancing these gender polarities, the feminine and the masculine, and yet I like my industry and it is a male-dominated industry. And so do I need to leave because it's not necessarily in line or maybe cultivating that feminine side of me? And the ultimate answer is no. Do whatever Mm -hmm. makes you happy. You don't have to leave a male-dominated industry or masculine industry or whatever just because you feel like the balance isn't there because that comes from within. And you can make whatever career you want work for you as long as you are doing that internal work. Yep. It, it, it is not to oversimplify it, but I tend to overcomplicate things. It really does begin with me. That's another prayer is let it begin with me. If I see something out in the world, I obsess over the division that we have right now, you know, in the country to heal that divide. It starts one place and it's, it's within my own self and finding those places within myself that are warring against one another and creating that division in me. And Mm -hmm. as I heal that in me, that's going to have a ripple effect. And I can only believe that, that that will lead to kind of a greater healing Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. Yes. It's like that saying goes, be the change you wish to see in the world. Love, love that. And talking about working on yourself and wanting to do the inner work and just being a little bit more mindful and taking ownership, if you will, of, of your life. So we just completed uh, on this podcast, a manifestation money mindset series. And I know that you are an advocate for women becoming more financially literate. Yes. Do you have any advice for the woman that is wanting to be more empowered with her wealth or that is wanting to take ownership of her finances and, and becoming her CFO? You know, what advice might you have for that woman that's, that's really trying to own that role for herself? Mm. First of all, before we get to advice, yes. If you are a woman listening to this and you don't feel empowered from a place of, you know, money and finances, that is something that will make such a big difference in your world. I mean, I get to work with women who are on the other side of divorce or maybe they have lost they've lost their partner and they're they're just stunned and they're left with all of these pieces, a lot of women are not involved in, in kind of that larger wealth building planning mm-hmm. conversation. Maybe they'll pay the bills and, and you know, they'll do the online banking. But the bigger picture, that holistic planning, building that roadmap, having that blueprint, so often women are left behind in that. And, you know, I had a woman the other day one of our clients say how much she appreciated that we are purposeful about including her in the conversation because her old financial advisor would never look at her and would only look at the husband. Mm. And so 
I'm putting that out there in the universe. You know, I want these badass women, regardless of if you're married, straight, gay, whatever, divorced, whatever the case may be, there's women out there just like you who want to be empowered and they don't know where to start. So I would say, first of all, invest in you. You know, that's, that's kind of, that goes along with the theme, what we just talked about. Let it begin with me. How do I start investing in myself? You know, Warren Buffett. Oh, I, you know, I love the buff. He's, he's such a, (laughs) such an influencer. He's like my Glennon Doyle, right? You know, he says the most important investment you can make is in you. And he told his wife that, and he said, Hey, if I ever die, just know uh, that the most important investment you can make is in you. So I'd say that's number one, invest in you. If it's finding resources, if it's reaching out to you know someone like me or a trusted professional in this industry and check your gut. Cause there's a lot of, there's a lot of people in my industry that are not doing it for the right reasons. You know, they're making recommendations based on what's going to give them the most commission and, just trust your gut, find somebody that you can talk through things with, bounce ideas off of, ask questions. Number two, so, you know, invest in you. And then the second thing that comes to mind is it goes back to awareness, increase your awareness. I mean, it really is, the onus is on us to own our journey and to educate ourselves uh, and avoid that herd mentality of, Oh, you know, everyone else is doing this or, or haphazardly spending money or, oh, the stock market's doing great. I'm going to throw all my money in there. You've really got to start with building that foundation. Otherwise, you're going to find yourself making emotionally reactive decisions that are typically really damaging from a financial standpoint. Mm. Uh, and so, you know, again, owning your journey, there's no, prince that's going to come and sweep you off your feet. There's there's not a money fairy the last time I checked. And so it really does take making a decision. The easiest thing for people to do is nothing. And that is sometimes the most damaging thing to do. So, and, and you know, third, I'd say identify the gap and, and the goals. I, I teach a kind of money 101 class to the students or the the kids of our clients. And we talk a lot about the gap theory. There's a gap between where you are and where you want to be financially. And it's not a gap to be judged. It's just a gap to be noticed and addressed. And then we start to figure out how do we get from point A to point B in the most efficient manner, knowing it's never a line. Uh, and it starts with taking those first few steps. And, and then once you take those first steps, it makes those, those subsequent steps so much easier to take. And that's why I do what I do. I love to co-create these blueprints with, with people, with clients, specifically women, and watch them grow and watch them take back control of their financial life and grow with them and get to see them pursue this whole other side of their lives that they didn't even know that they had. And watching women become these badasses, like owning their own financial journey, that gives me so much joy. Love, love, love that. So where can people go to find out 
either more about your book, any social media tags, anything that you want to share to help people find you, where can they go? Uh, I'd say, gosh, I'm really bad at social media. I just (laughs) signed up for Twitter yesterday, 15 years late to the party. But I do have an Instagram, but the way more fun one, because my wife is so much better at social media, is our couples page, which I never thought I would have an Instagram couples page, (laughs) but here we are. No, I actually love it. We do just some really silly random stuff, you know, to try to bring some light to people's lives. So that is at the dot Mrs. dot Leverton's. And I guess we can just put the link somewhere, but I will tag your Instagram in there. That way, if people want to get in touch with either yourself or Brie or hear more about your story, they have a way to connect. Awesome. I love it. Well, I have really enjoyed our time together. I have really, really, really appreciated your vulnerability. And I don't say that lightly because I love the level of authenticity that you brought to this conversation. And Mm -hmm. Not having any idea where this was going to go today, I absolutely <laughs> love the direction that it went. Well, it's so much easier and I conserve so much more energy just being real, even the good, the bad, and the ugly. Love it. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. And I can't wait to connect with you again because I'm sure we're going to have to do a follow-up once your book is out and all these other things that I know are on the burners and potentially to be announced here within the next 12-ish months. Yes. Yeah. We, we can give a, we can give a little bit of, what would you call it? Dangle a carrot? I don't know. Like a preview or like a, you know what I'm talking about. Whatever Uh, that word is that I can't think of right now. Um, I always get my phrases messed up. So don't even ask. (laughs) I love that. There may be a movie. So that we'll see, you know, y'all can, y'all can manifest that with me. Um, there's some, (laughs) there's some balls rolling with that as well. So it's just, it never, never surprises me what life holds. And so I think, you know, if I can kind of close the time, it sounds so formal, but I I really have had this thought permeating my heart as we've been talking. And so I want to end on that, if that's okay with you. Of course. And also, obviously, thank you, thank you, thank you, times a million for being brave enough to have someone like me on your podcast, because you don't know where it's going to (laughs) go. You know, it is a risk, you know, uh, but (laughs) a beautiful risk. It's a beautiful risk. Oh, I love that. But as I've been talking with you and, and, you know, having this theme of manifestation, whether or not it's in life or with money, it, it really, I guess the, the challenge that I would give to your listeners that I'm giving to myself is it's this quote from Eckhart Tolle, you know, and he says, realize deeply that the present moment is all you have. Make the now the primary focus of your life. And I want to encourage you today as you're listening to know that manifestation doesn't just happen. It it requires deep soul and spirit work. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I want to create this reality for myself. I want to create this you know, dream life that I can be really proud of, but it starts with that awareness and it starts with raising my own internal consciousness first, because it really is all spiritual. I mean, spirituality and manifestation, they're married. You, you really can't separate them, but I, I have just deeply come to believe 
not only through experience and, and things I've learned, but the greater connection that I can pursue you know, within me with the divine, higher power, God, whatever anyone calls that love intelligence, but the greater connection I can pursue with the divine, the greater my effectiveness, I guess, will be in creating that reality. So it's this almost radical collaboration and this divine co-creation that is built on so much grace and so much love. And there is no scarcity for those resources. So that's what I want to leave y'all with. And thank you, thank you, thank you for for being here, Brie, and for doing this. And thank you to each of you who have endured the length of this podcast. <laughs> you are loved and you are so integral to what is going on in this world. What a mic drop to end on. Thank you so much. Oh my goodness. Incredible. I'm just glad I stopped crying early enough to get composed for this podcast. Well, thank you. Thank you again. Phenomenal conversation. And I can't wait to host you another time. Thank you, honey. Y'all have a good one. And a huge thank you to everyone who tuned in with us today. If you are enjoying these episodes, I'd really appreciate it if you would rate and review. And if you take a screenshot of that and email it to me at hello at the modern manifestation, I will in turn send you our seven weekly tips for creating space for abundance. If you enjoyed this content and if you have any content requests, feel free to reach out to me on Instagram or Facebook at Modern Manifestation. That way I can bring you guys more of what it is that you're looking for. Have a fabulous rest of your week and I will catch y'all next Monday. Until then, go out there and manifest some miracles. Thank y'all so much for hanging out with me today. If you enjoyed this podcast, hit subscribe so you can stay up to date with new episodes. As always, we would love it if you would share this episode with friends and family who could use the inspiration. As a new podcast show, we would really appreciate your honest feedback so I know what you like and what you could use more of. As a thank you for leaving us a rating, we will send you our seven weekly tips to create space for abundance. Make sure you screenshot your review and email it to us at hello at the T-H-E modernmanifestation.com so we can send them straight to your inbox. If you'd like to stay connected, you can find us on Instagram or Facebook at Modern Manifestation, or you can head to our website at themodernmanifestation.com. Thanks again for joining me, and I will catch y'all in the next episode.